Hello and welcome back to Bible Beginning to End. I'm so glad you are here today for another episode where we will be reading through the scriptures together. Thank you all for your patience as I'm working through these chapters as quickly as is possible. I do work a full-time job, so sometimes it's a little difficult for me to find time to record, but every chance I get, I'm doing a little bit at a time, and we'll get there one day, so thank you for your patience. So today we will be completing the book of Numbers. We will be reading from chapter 32 all the way to the end of the book. So let's remind ourselves where we were last time. We read through some more laws and rituals and rules that God has given to Moses. And then in chapter 31, we saw God command Israel to go to war against the Midianites for corrupting Israel back in Numbers 25. And we saw them successful in that war and how they divided up all of the plunders of those battles. So as we start today, let's just remember how we go about reading through the scriptures here on this podcast. I'm going to read through and pause to ask questions along the way. I'm not going to offer answers to these questions, but this is just a time for you to reflect on scripture and see what God might be telling you. So let's take a deep breath and dive right in to finishing up the book of Numbers, and let's start with Numbers 32, the tribes east of the Jordan. The tribes of Reuben and Gad owned vast numbers of livestock. So when they saw that the lands of Jazer and Gilead were ideally suited for their flocks and herds, they came to Moses, Eliezer the priest, and the other leaders of the community. They said, Notice the towns of Adaroth, Dibon, Jazer, Nimrah, Heshbon, Alila, Eliala, Sibma, Nebo, and Bean. The Lord has conquered this whole area for the community of Israel, and it is ideally suited for all livestock. If we have found favor with you, please let us have this land as our property instead of giving us land across the Jordan River. Do you intend to stay here while your brothers... Go across and do all the fighting? Moses asked the men of Gad and Reuben. Why do you want to discourage the rest of the people of Israel from going across to the land the Lord has given them? Your ancestors did the same thing when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. After they went up to the valley of Eshkel and explored the land, they discouraged the people of Israel from entering the land the Lord was giving them. Then the Lord was very angry with them, and he vowed, Of all those I rescued from Egypt, no one who is twenty years old or older will ever see the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, for they have not obeyed me wholeheartedly. The only exceptions are Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, son of Nun, for they have wholeheartedly followed the Lord." The Lord was angry with Israel and made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years until the entire generation that sinned in the Lord's sight had died. But here you are, 
a brood of sinners doing exactly the same thing. You are making the Lord even angrier with Israel. If you turn away from him like this and he abandons them again in the wilderness, you will be responsible for destroying this entire nation. Okay, so pause there. Why is Moses so angry? And who is he angry at? What is he referencing that happened in the past? Do you remember the story he's talking about? And what do you think their response is going to be? Let's find out in verse 16. But they approached Moses and said, We simply want to build pens for our livestock and fortified towns for our wives and children. Then we will arm ourselves and lead our fellow Israelites into battle until we have brought them safely to their land. Meanwhile, our families will stay in the fortified towns we build here, so they will be safe from any attacks by the local people. We will not return to our homes until all the people of Israel have received their portions of land. But we do not claim any of the land on the other side of the Jordan. We would rather live here, on the east side, and accept this as our grant of land. So pause there. What is their response? What are they saying to Moses? Verse 20. Then Moses said, If you keep your word and arm yourselves for the Lord's battle, and if your troops cross the Jordan and keep fighting until the Lord has driven out his enemies, then you may return when the Lord has conquered the land. You will have fulfilled your duty to the Lord and to the rest of the people of Israel, and the land on the east side of the Jordan will be your property from the Lord. But if you fail to keep your word, then you will have sinned against the Lord, and you may be sure that your sin will find you out. Go ahead and build towns for your families and pens for your flocks. Do everything you have promised. So pause there. Why has Moses sort of changed his tone? He listened to what they said and what was the agreement that they came to. And one more important thing I want to point out is in verse 22. Moses says, you may return when who has conquered the land. Who is Moses attributing these victories to? And why is that important? Verse 25. Then the men of Gad and Reuben replied, We, your servants, will follow your instructions exactly. Our children, wives, flocks, and cattle will stay here in the towns of Gilead. But all who are able to bear arms will cross over to fight for the Lord, just as you have said. So Moses gave orders to Eleazar the priest, Joshua son of Nun, and the leaders of the clans of Israel. He said, The men of Gad and Reuben, who are armed for battle, must cross the Jordan with you to fight for the Lord. If they do, Give them the land of Gilead as their property when the land is conquered. But if they refuse to arm themselves and cross over with you, then they must accept the land with the rest of you in the land of Canaan. The tribes of Gad and Reuben said again, We are your servants, 
and we will do as the Lord has commanded. We will cross the Jordan into Canaan fully armed to fight for the Lord. But our property will be here, on this side of the Jordan. So Moses assigned land to the tribes of Gad, Reuben, and half the tribe of Manasseh, son of Joseph. He gave them the territory of King Sion of the Amorites and the land of King Og of Bashan, the whole land with its cities and surrounding lands. The descendants of Gad built the towns of Dibon, Adaroth, Aror, Atroth Shafan, Jazer, Jogbeha, Beth Nimrah, and Beth Haran. These were all fortified towns with pens for their flocks. The descendants of Reuben built the towns of Heshbon, Alila, Kiriatham, Nebo, Baal, Maon, and Sibma. They changed the names of some of the towns they conquered and rebuilt. They changed the names of some of the towns they conquered and rebuilt. Then the descendants of Machir, of the tribe of Manasseh, went to Gilead and conquered it, and they drove out the Amorites living there. So Moses gave Gilead to the Machirites, descendants of Manasseh, and they settled there. The people of Jair, another clan of the tribe of Manasseh, captured many of the towns in Gilead and changed the name of that region to the towns of Jair. Meanwhile, a man named Noba captured the town of Kenneth and its surrounding villages, and he renamed that area Noba after himself. Okay, so let's pause there so I can give just a little introduction into chapter 33, which is remembering Israel's journey. This chapter is going to be a long list, but in a twist, it's not a long list of people and their descendants. It's actually a long list of all the places Israel went and the journey they've been walking all this way. So this might be one of those chapters where you're like, oh my goodness, why do I have to read all this? Why is this here? Well, as I'm reading it, what I want you to think about is your own journey. I want you to think about where you've been and the places God has brought you from. Maybe they're physical places like Israel, from Egypt to here, to here, to here, to the promised land. Maybe it's a spiritual place. God brought you from a place of being a slave to sin to being saved, to being free from sin. Maybe he's brought you from a mental place of anxiety and depression and grief to a stronger mental place. Whatever that may be for you, whatever God is bringing to your heart right now as we're reading through Israel's journey, I want you to think on that. I want you to pray on that. And I want you to thank God for the places he's already taken you and thank God for the places he's going to take you. And also reflect on Israel's story and how far they've come. Okay, Numbers 33, remembering Israel's journey. This is the route the Israelites followed as they marched out of Egypt under the leadership of Moses and Aaron. At the Lord's direction, Moses kept a written record of their progress. These are the stages of their march identified by the different places where they stopped along the way. They set out from the city of Ramses in early spring on the 15th day of the first month, on the morning after the first Passover celebration. 
the people of Israel left defiantly in full view of all the Egyptians. Meanwhile, the Egyptians were burying all their firstborn sons, whom the Lord had killed the night before. The Lord had defeated the gods of Egypt that night with great acts of judgment. So pause there. What is that referring to? What is that little section referring to? Do we remember that story in Exodus? Verse 5. After leaving Ramses, the Israelites set up camp at Sakoth. Then they left Sakoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. Then they left Etham and turned back toward Pi-Hahirath, opposite Baal-Zephon, and camped near Migdal. They left Pi-Hahirath and crossed the Red Sea into the wilderness beyond. Then they traveled for three days into the Etham wilderness and camped at Mara. They left Mara and camped at Elam where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees. They left Elam and camped beside the Red Sea. They left the Red Sea and camped in the wilderness of Sin. They left the wilderness of Sin and camped at Dafka. They left Dafka and camped at Alish. They left Alish and camped at Rephidim, where there was no water for the people to drink. They left Rephidim and camped in the wilderness of Sinai. They left the wilderness of Sinai and camped at Kibroth Hattavah. They left Kibroth Hattavah and camped at Hazaroth. They left Hazaroth and camped at Rithma. They left Rithma and camped at Rimen Perez. They left Rimen Perez and camped at Libna. They left Libna and camped at Rissa. They left Rissa and camped at Kehalatha. They left Kehalatha and camped at Mount Shefer. They left Mount Shefer and camped at Haradah. They left Haradah and camped at Makeleth. They left Makeleth and camped at Tahath. They left Tahath and camped at Terah. They left Terah and camped at Mithka. They left Mithka and camped at Hashmanah. They left Hashmanah and camped at Mazaroth. They left Mazaroth and camped at Benijakin. They left Benijakin and camped at Hor Hagidgad. They left Hor Hagidgad and camped at Jotbatha. They left Jotbatha and camped at Abranah. They left Abranah and camped at Ezion Geber. They left Ezion Geber and camped at Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. They left Kadesh and camped at Mount Hor at the border of Edom. While they were at the foot of Mount Hor, Aaron the priest was directed by the Lord to go up the mountain, and there he died. This happened in midsummer, on the first day of the fifth month of the fortieth year after Israel's departure from Egypt. Aaron was 123 years old when he died there on Mount Hor. At that time, the Canaanite king of Arad, who lived in Negev, in the land of Canaan, heard that the people of Israel were approaching his land. Meanwhile, the Israelites left Mount Hor and camped at Zalmanah. Then they left Zalmanah and camped at Punan. They left Punan and camped at Abath. They left Abath and camped at Lai-Abarim on the border of Moab. They left Lai-Abarim and camped at Dibengad. They left Dibengad and camped at Almon Diblathiam. They left Almond Diblathiam and camped in the mountains east of the river near Mount Nebo. 
They left the mountains east of the river and camped on the plains of Moab beside the Jordan River across from Jericho. Along the Jordan River, they camped from Beth Jeshemoth as far as the meadows of Acacia on the plains of Moab. While they were camped near the Jordan River on the plains of Moab opposite Jericho, the Lord said to Moses, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you cross the Jordan River into the land of Canaan, you must drive out all the people living there. You must destroy all their carved and molten images and demolish all their pagan shrines. Take possession of the land and settle in it, because I have given it to you to occupy. You must distribute the land among the clans by sacred lot and in proportion to their size. A larger portion of land will be allotted to each of the larger clans, and a smaller portion will be allotted to each of the smaller clans. The decision of the sacred lot is final. In this way, the portions of land will be divided among your ancestral tribes. But if you fail to drive out the people who live in the land, those who remain will be like splinters in your eye and thorns in your side. They will harass you in the land where you live, and I will do to you what I had planned to do to them. Okay, so take a breath. That was a lot to take in. Those were a lot of places. Forgive my pronunciation because... They named their lands very differently than we do now. But take a breath because we got through that and reflect. What was God telling you about your own journey? What was he reminding you? What did he bring up? And also, what did you learn about the Israelites? Did it bring to mind and put into clearer focus how long and arduous their journey was? And then this last section about land and driving all the people out. How serious is God about what he's telling the Israelites? Okay, so let's go in to Numbers 34, Boundaries of the Land. And what land are we talking about? This is Canaan. This is the land that God promised the Israelites generations ago, starting with Abraham. This is the promised land. So just take a minute to reflect on the journey we've been through to get here. The people who have died because an entire generation of Israelites has died and not been able to enter the promised land, but God's promise remains true. He is giving them this land, even if it's to the ancestors of the ones who were saved from Egypt to the ancestors of Abraham. He is giving the land that is promised. So let's read chapter 34, Boundaries of the Land. Then the Lord said to Moses, Give these instructions to the Israelites. When you come into the land of Canaan, which I am giving you as your special possession, these will be the boundaries. The southern portion of your country will extend from the wilderness of Zin along the edge of Edom, The southern boundary will begin on the east at the Dead Sea. It will then run south past Scorpion Pass in the direction of Zin. Its southernmost point will be Kadesh Barnea, from which it will go to Hazar Otter and on to Osman. From Osman, the boundary will turn toward the brook of Egypt and the end of the Mediterranean Sea. Your western boundary will be the coastline of the Mediterranean Sea. Your northern boundary will begin at the Mediterranean Sea and run east to Mount Hor. 
then to Lebo Hamath, and on through Zadad, and Ziphron to Hazar Enon. This will be your northern boundary. The eastern boundary will start at Hazar Enon and run south to Shephem, then down to Ribla on the east side of Ain. From there, the boundary will run down along the eastern edge of the Sea of Galilee, and then along the Jordan River to the Dead Sea. These are the boundaries of your land. Then Moses told the Israelites, this territory is the homeland you are to divide among yourselves by sacred lot. The Lord has commanded that the land be divided among the nine and a half remaining tribes. The families of the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh have already received their grants of land on the east side of the Jordan River across from Jericho toward the sunrise. The next section is leaders to divide the land. And the Lord said to Moses, Eleazar the priest and Joshua son of Nun are the men designated to divide the grants of land among the people. Enlist one leader from each tribe to help them with the task. These are the tribes and the names of the leaders. Tribe of Judah, the leader Caleb, son of Jephunneh. Tribe of Simeon, the leader Shemuel, son of Amahud. Tribe of Benjamin, leader Eladad, son of Kislon. Tribe of Dan, leader Buki, son of Jogli. Tribe of Manasseh, son of Joseph, leader Haniel, son of Ephod. Tribe of Ephraim, son of Joseph, leader Kemuel, son of Shiftan. Tribe of Zebulun, leader Elizaphan, son of Parnak. Tribe of Issachar, leader Paltiel, son of Ozan. Tribe of Asher, leader Ahahud, son of Shalomi. Tribe of Naphtali, leader Padahel, son of Amahud. These are the men the Lord has appointed to divide the grants of land in Canaan among the Israelites. So pause there at the end of chapter 34. Why do you think God gives these specific instructions for dividing the land? Why doesn't he just say, this portion of the land goes to Judah, this portion of the land goes to the tribe of Simeon, this portion of the land goes to the tribe of Benjamin, and so on? Why does he use this model where he has leaders from each tribe divide the land by casting lots? And if you don't know what I mean by casting lots, you know I'm not one to just give you answers here. So do a little research. Let me encourage you. When you come across something like that that you may not know, that maybe I didn't ask a question about or you're still curious about, do some research on it. Find a study Bible. Look into you know, solid resources regarding scripture. Find out what that means, casting lots. But what does it tell us about how God uses people? Why does he choose to use people to fulfill his plan rather than just doing everything himself? Okay, Numbers 35, Towns for the Levites. Now remember, who were the Levites? That was Aaron's clan. They were the priests of the Israelites. And did you notice that they weren't mentioned in the previous chapter where we were talking about the division of land? So why do you think that was? Okay, chapter 35, verse 1. 
towns for the Levites. While Israel was camped beside the Jordan, on the plains of Moab, across from Jericho, the Lord said to Moses, Command the people of Israel to give to the Levites from their property certain towns to live in along the surrounding pasture lands. These towns will be for the Levites to live in, and the surrounding lands will provide pasture for their cattle, flocks, and other livestock. The pasture land assigned to the Levites around these towns will extend 1,500 feet from the town walls in every direction. Measure off 3,000 feet outside the town walls in every direction, east, south, west, north, with the town at the center. This area will serve as the larger pasture land for the towns. Six of the towns you give the Levites will be cities of refuge, where a person who has accidentally killed someone can flee for safety. In addition, give them 42 other towns. In all, 48 towns with the surrounding pasture land will be given to the Levites. These towns will come from the property of the people of Israel. The larger tribes will give more towns to the Levites, while the smaller tribes will give fewer. Each tribe will give property in proportion to the size of its land. So pause there. Why do you think God has it set up this way where instead of the Levites being given a portion of the land by casting lots like the other tribes were, why are the tribes giving a portion of their land to the Levites? What might this teach us about the church as a whole and how we support each other in the church? And then there are these towns of refuge. Why do you think God put the towns of refuge under the Levites' supervision? Okay, the next section is cities of refuge. So it's going to be all about those cities of refuge we just talked about that were given as a portion of the Levites' towns. Verse 9. The Lord said to Moses, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, designate cities of refuge to which people can flee if they have killed someone accidentally. These cities will be places of protection from a dead person's relatives who want to avenge the death. The slayer must not be put to death before being tried by the community. Designate six cities of refuge for yourselves, three on the east side of the Jordan River and three on the west in the land of Canaan. These cities are for the protection of Israelites, foreigners living among you, and traveling merchants. Anyone who accidentally kills someone may flee there for safety. But if someone strikes and kills another person with a piece of iron, it is murder, and the murderer must be executed. Or if someone with a stone in his hand strikes and kills another person, it is murder, and the murderer must be put to death. Or, if someone strikes and kills another person with a wooden object, it is murder, and the murderer must be put to death. The victim's nearest relative is responsible for putting the murderer to death. When they meet, the avenger must put the murderer to death. So, if someone hates another person and waits an ambush, then pushes him or throws something at him and he dies, it is murder. Or, if someone hates another person and hits him with a fist and he dies, it is murder. 
In such cases, the avenger must put the murderer to death when they meet. But suppose someone pushes another person without having shown previous hostility, or throws something that unintentionally hits another person, or accidentally drops a huge stone on someone, though they were not enemies, and the person dies. If this should happen, the community must follow these regulations in making a judgment between the slayer and the avenger, the victim's nearest relative. The community must protect the slayer from the avenger and must escort the slayer back to live in the city of refuge to which he fled. There he must remain until the death of the high priest who was anointed with sacred oil. But if the slayer ever leaves the limits of the city of refuge and the avenger finds him outside the city and kills him, it will not be considered murder. The slayer should have stayed inside the city of refuge until the death of the high priest. But after the death of the high priest, the slayer may return to his own property. These are legal requirements for you to observe from generation to generation wherever you may live. All murderers must be put to death, but only if evidence is presented by more than one witness. No one may be put to death on the testimony of only one witness. Also, you must never accept a ransom payment for the life of someone judged guilty of murder and subject to execution. Murderers must always be put to death and never accept a ransom payment for someone who has fled to a city of refuge allowing a slayer to return to his property before the death of the high priest. This will ensure that the land where you live will not be polluted, for murder pollutes the land and no sacrifice except the execution of the murderer can purify the land from murder. You must not defile the land where you live, for I live there myself. I am the Lord who lives among the people of Israel. So pause there at the end of chapter 35. Why does God take the act of murder so seriously? What is this section telling us about justice? And then what is that last verse telling us about God, where he's saying, you must not defile the land where you live because I live there too. And then in light of the New Testament, because remember, this is before Jesus, before Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice for all of our sins. So how does Jesus's sacrifice change the way we react to crime and to injustice such as the ones discussed in this section. And knowing that if we have decided to believe and follow God, where does God live now? And how have we become that holy temple, that holy land? All right, you guys, we're about to start our final chapter in Numbers. So this last chapter is about women who inherit property. So let's read chapter 36. Then the heads of the clans of Gilead, descendants of Machir, son of Manasseh, son of Joseph, came to Moses and the family leaders of Israel with a petition. They said, Sir, the Lord instructed you to divide the land by sacred lot among the people of Israel. You were told by the Lord to give the grant of land owned by our brother Zelophehad to his daughters. But... If they marry men from another tribe, their grants of land will go with them to the tribe in which they marry. In this way, 
the total area of our tribal land will be reduced. Then, when the year of Jubilee comes, their portion of land will be added to that of the new tribe, causing it to be lost forever to our ancestral tribe. So Moses gave the Israelites this command from the Lord. The claim of the men of the tribe of Joseph is legitimate. This is what the Lord commands concerning the daughters of Zelophehad. Let them marry anyone they like, as long as it is within their own ancestral tribe. None of the territorial land may pass from tribe to tribe, for all the land given to each tribe must remain within the tribe to which it was first allotted. The daughters throughout the tribes of Israel who are in line to inherit property must marry within their tribe, so that all the Israelites will keep their ancestral property. No grant of land may pass from one tribe to another. Each tribe of Israel must keep its allotted portion of land. The daughters of Zelophehad did as the Lord commanded Moses. Mala, Terza, Hagla, Milka, and Noah all married cousins on their father's side. They married into the clans of Manasseh, son of Joseph. Thus, their inheritance of land remained within their ancestral tribe. These are the commands and regulations that the Lord gave to the people of Israel through Moses while they were camped on the plains of Moab beside the Jordan River across from Jericho. Okay, so pause there. That was the last chapter of Numbers, and we can reflect on that final story and ask ourselves, you know, how involved is God in the daily lives of the Israelites? Why do you think he came to this conclusion, this solution to the questions they were asking about land ownership? Why was it important that those specific lands stayed within those tribes? Okay, I'm so glad that you were with me through Numbers, and soon we will be starting Deuteronomy. Here with Numbers, we end in the 39th year of wandering. We are with the Israelites at the bank of the Jordan River, and the promised land is right there. They're not there yet. The original Exodus generation is not going to go into the promised land. We know that from what we've read previously. Moses is not going to go into the promised land. We know that from his punishment earlier on. So we still haven't made it yet. The book of Deuteronomy which we're going to start next time, is going to take us through Moses talking to this new generation of Israelites and reminding them of the covenant and how important it is to keep these laws and this covenant with God. So join me next time as we dive into Deuteronomy and go through this final section before the promised land. Sorry for the delays. I know I say that almost every time, but... Um, this past time, my microphone broke and I had to send it off to get a replacement or a repair and they just sent me the new one back so that I could start recording again. Um, and I, I say again, like, continue emailing. I love getting your emails. I love hearing from people who are listening. Bible beginning to end at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, all of those places. And I'm trying my best. It, I'm slow but sure getting through these I just like I've um, I've talked with some of you guys and you guys have been very gracious in my delays in recording but yeah I work a full-time job and sometimes it's really difficult to find time to record um, after work and all those things so but anyways thank you guys for listening we will be starting 
Deuteronomy soon. I cannot wait. I'm so glad that we've made it to this milestone through numbers. And Deuteronomy will be another milestone because it's that first section of the Bible. So keep listening, hang in there with me, and I'll talk to you in the next one.